Okay, so tonight's talk is on one of the uh, key ingredients in cultivating a full presence and in all healing and on the whole path of, of spiritual freedom and it's called wise investigation. In the Buddhist teachings it's formally described, this is classically as one of the factors of enlightenment, which means that in order to awaken we have to have this capacity to really investigate with some clarity our experience and that is a key ingredient there for waking up. And um, the phrase that I love from uh, the Pali script is ehipasiko. And what it means is come and see for yourself. So that in the Buddhist tradition there's all sorts of teachings and stories and so on. But the bottom line was the Buddha's basic message was don't believe or take my word for it. Truly look into your own awareness. Look into your own heart. See what's true. And that there really is no possibility for liberation unless we look for ourselves. So I remember many, many years ago from uh, at the Insight Meditation Society, which is a retreat center that I've gone to and taught at many times, there was, they have each year a three-month retreat. People are on, pretty much on full silence, it goes very, very deep, and the teachers offer these Dharma talks on all the different facets of the Buddhist tradition. And one of the guests that was kind of observing was a Korean Zen master. And he was there and he listened to the other, the Western teachers give their talks on the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path and the Four Foundations and the Spiritual Perfections and the Factors in Light and all the classical stuff. And then he finally he had, was given a night to offer his teachings. And he got up there and he said, everything they teach is wrong, it's all wrong, you know. He goes, nothing, nothing matters, only one question. What is this? What is this? His whole teaching was on inquiry. It's like, forget all the concepts, just ask the question, what is this? What is happening right in this moment inside you? What is aware in this moment? Everything else is a concept. Now, the reality is all these concepts can actually be very useful and helpful in pointing us towards presence. So I'm not quite as quick to dismiss the whole deal. (laughs) But there is a tremendous power to cutting through everything and just turning our attention in a very immediate way to what's going on inside us. And the, it's, the metaphor is that it's like investigations like shining a light in a dark room. And if it's dark, you bump into the furniture. And we all have these repeating patterns. We keep bumping into the same furniture. We know that if we're honest with ourselves. Uh, that we, we have these patterns of, you know, whether it's judgment or guilt or playing out addictive behavior or kind of dwelling on personal failures or are in some way... Um, not really letting ourselves be intimate. We keep doing the same stuff. And so it's only when we begin to shine that light of investigation that we can see it with enough clarity so as not to keep repeating the patterns. But it takes courage. It takes courage to investigate because inevitably 
the patterns come out of some very raw and difficult experience. So part of being willing to investigate is to be willing to touch what we've been running away from. There's a, a, a line, the truth will set you free, but first it'll make you angry. <laughs> I like that. I think that really makes sense. So a story for you. Baba Yaga is an old woman with a wild hag-like visage who stirs her pot and knows all things. She lives deep in the forest. When we seek her out, we are frightened, for she requires us to go into the dark, to ask dangerous questions, to step outside the world of logic and comfort. When the first young seeker comes quaking up to the door of her hut, Baba Yaga demands, Are you on your own errand, or are you sent by another? The young man, encouraged in his quest by his family, answers, I'm sent by my father. Baba Yaga promptly throws him into the pot and cooks him. (laughs) The next to attempt this quest, a young woman sees the smoldering fire and hears the cackle of Baba Yaga. Baba Yaga again demands, Are you on your own errand, or are you sent by another? This young woman has been pulled to the woods alone to seek what she can find there. I'm on my own errand, she replies. Baba Yaga throws her in the pot and cooks her too. (laughs) Later, a third visitor, again a young woman, deeply confused by the world, comes to Baba Yaga's house far into the forest. She sees the smoke and knows it's dangerous. Baba Yaga confronts her. Are you on your own errand or are you sent by another? This young woman answers truthfully. In large part, I'm on my own errand, but in large part, I also come because of others. And in large part, I've also come because you are here and because of the forest and something I have forgotten. And in large part, I know not why I've come. Baba Yaga regards her for a moment and says, you'll do, and shows her into the hut. So what do we make of this? In a way, you can kind of intuit that there's an attitude that really is behind all spiritual practice. And it's an attitude that that intuits a mystery. And so that when we begin to have that basic interest, and it's really a profound kind of fascination in what is reality, our questions come not from an intellectual kind of trying to find out so we can make things safe for ourselves. They don't come because we want to prove we're knowledgeable. They come from this, this deep sincerity that wants to know truth and has a sense of openness to the mystery that we just don't know. It's like unless our hands are open, we really can't receive, we really can't touch truth. And we know what it's like to move through the world and not really try to find out. We know what it's like, you know, if we sense the kind of trance that a lot of us are in a lot of the day when mostly we're just trying to get through the day. I like the way one coach describes talking to a former football player. I told him, so what is it with you? Is it ignorance or apathy? He said, coach, I don't know and I don't care. And we, we can see in our education system, and it's, and it's a sad commentary, that, you know, that the way our children are taught and the way we are taught will really, really has an effect on whether we just kind of grab at knowledge or whether there's a deep inquiry into the nature of what's true. And we know what happens when it's rote. 
Um, somebody sent me this years ago, because one of the great examples is children in uh, religion classes. The seventh commandment is, this is answer to Bible questions, the seventh commandment is, thou shalt not admit adultery. And then David was a Hebrew king who was skilled at playing the lyre. He fought the Finkelsteins, a race of people who lived in the biblical times. Another answer. When Mary heard she was mother of Jesus, she sang the Magna Carta. (laughs) When three wise guys from the east side arrived, they found Jesus in the manager. (laughs) I'll just read a couple more. I like these. The Jews had trouble throughout their history with unsympathetic genitals. One more, one more. A Christian should have only one wife. This is called monotony. <laughs> so let me speak a little as to what wise investigation is not. Clearly it's not rote learning. It's not kind of grabbing onto information. It's definitely not analytic. There's a lot of a tendency, I think, in us to investigate and then say, so what's going on right now? And then try to say, well, you know, my mother treated me this way, so it's making me do this, but then has another person do that. So we're kind of going through a story. And it's not, and an investigation is a much more immediate quality. It's also not theoretical in the sense of what happens after we die. You know, that kind of question that's kind of, again, trying to... Um, kind of come to a, a, a different kind of a way of framing the world. I talked about this once, about these kind of abstract questions, and somebody sent me this. A chicken and an egg are lying in bed. The chicken is leaning against the headboard, smoking a cigarette with a satisfied smile on its face. The egg, looking a bit pissed off, grabs a sheet, rolls over and says, well, I guess we finally answered that question. <laughs> I thought that was great. I... <laughs> so there's always a long pause between. <laughs> okay. So the bottom line is that you can listen to talks and you can read and you can think about spiritual matters for years. And there's no freedom unless there is a kind of courageous attention to um, inner experience. It says one, uh, one place it's written, Zen and the art of reading all the books about Zen. You know, it's like... <laughs> so let me ask you this, just to close your eyes for a moment. So here's the question. What is happening inside you right now? What's the most predominant, compelling experience you're aware of right in this moment? And again, what's happening right in this moment? What's the most compelling experience you're aware of right now inside you in this moment? Okay. 
Open your eyes. Now, let's just hear a bit. When I ask the question, not what did you notice, but what did the question do? What happened when you heard the question? Anyone? Just, we'll just hear from a few different people. Just say something out loud. Just raise your hand and say a few words. Yeah. One person still gets... So I asked the question, what are you aware of? And there's this giggly feeling inside. Yeah. Yep, so that you paid attention. What's happening inside and you still felt the... (laughs) Okay. What happened when I asked the question? Yeah. You you became aware of feeling at peace. What else? Anyone? There's no right answer here. Yeah, please. What's that? Emptiness. Very what? Peaceful. So there's like a tunnel, emptiness, nothing but peaceful. Yeah. And again, no right answers. Just let's hear what's in the room. Someone else. What did you notice? Uh, just stillness. But then I started to say, well, I know there's stuff in there. So I started looking. And then sort of So stillness. And then you said, some part of you said, I know there's stuff in there. And then you started looking. Yeah. Yeah, please. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. So you got in touch with the biological hunger there. I wish I could offer you. <laughs> Anyone else? Struggle, uncertainty, exactly. So there's this whole range of experience going on inside us, giggling and stillness and peace and struggle and uncertainty and hunger. And the inquiry allows us to notice what we might not have been paying attention to. As soon as we ask the question, the real changes, and it doesn't matter what inner weather system we notice, the change is that we notice we become aware of what we weren't aware of. Carl Jung talks about the suffering from from the unlived life. We begin to contact the life that's here. So let's look a little more closely. I want to bring kind of an inquiry to how investigation both can serve emotional healing in other words, when we're stuck in an emotional kind of jam, and also in, a, in the deepest way, spiritual freedom. And just to begin with emotional suffering, the, there is a kind of um, formula for suffering. And the way it happens is we're believing thoughts. Usually they're in the genre of, I'm flawed, others will reject me, I'll never get what I want, I'll always fall short, something around the corner will be too much. That's a big one, by the way, that there's something around the corner that we can't handle. And, the cor- and whenever there's a thought in the mind, the body has a, a correlating physical state. So any thought ha- translates into a physical experience in our body, a felt sense. And so there's the thought, there's a feeling in our body, and then there's either fight, flight, or freeze. We react. And for most of us, we have these patterns that we keep redoing of the same kind of cocoon of thoughts are going through our brain, the same swim of biochemistry in our body and the same behaviors, and we keep replaying them. Then we keep having the world respond to us because of the way we do our patterns, which then recreate the belief of, I'm going to fail or I'm going to be rejected. So you get the general looping, right? Okay. So what happens in the midst of these loopings is that we... For some, by some grace, have become aware that it's possible to pause and get mindful. 
And that's really the gateway to freedom. Something in us has learned or intuited that if I can just stop and pay deeper attention, it's possible to step out of that, that looping of this pattern. So the, the acronym I introduced here a lot for how to do that is RAIN. That we recognize and allow, R-A, okay, I'm caught, I'm stuck in an emotional kind of um, pattern. Recognize and allow it. That's like saying, okay, pause and get, this is the situation. And then I is to investigate. Investigate with an intimate quality, it's got a double I. So that's where we're going to go, is how do we begin to investigate when we're stuck? And then, of course, as those that have been here a lot know, we'll be doing it here. We'll have you pick something and we'll just do a little taste of how to investigate. So an example for you I wanted to share tonight, because this is recent, a friend of mine who lives in New England, like many people, lost his job. And... um, became very agitated and very withdrawn from friends and family. He was, he was not able to really communicate much. And when we talked, he, he basically said he just felt really embarrassed, even though it was happening to a whole lot of people in some way. It was very, very personal. I mean, there was a fear of not enough money and a fear of what about the ne- getting another job, but it was just, it was really embarrassing. And as we talked more what he realized is that even when he had his job, he in some way felt embarrassed about himself, like his parents had put in a message early on, be special, stand out. And in some way he felt disappointed in the trajectory of his life. In some way he was embarrassed for not coming through in the way that the standard he had. So he be, he, this is what he was investigating, feeling embarrassed, Here's the belief, I'm falling short, I'm not special. And, and then with that, he could feel a shame that he had been living with in his body. And when I asked him how long, he said he is back, as far back as he could remember, that in, in elementary school he wasn't chosen for the teams. He was, so it was always this sense of shame. And then when he kept investigating, because I kept asking the question, you know, what are you... So what are you feeling right this moment? Underneath that shame was this fear of being alone. So what investigation did was it unlayered. It went from embarrassed, can't talk to my family, to a shame I've been living with for decades, to fear of being alone. And when he could start naming all that, there's, a, there's an understanding, the shamans put it really well, that if you can name a fear it no longer controls you. doesn't mean it goes away, but when it's in the light of awareness. In other words, when we bring, investigate and bring things into light, they can't control us so much. The reason being, in the moment that we're aware of something, what we are becomes enlarged. So for him, when he could sense this layering and sense all, oh, been living with this shame for all these years and with this fear of being alone, he was then able to, I often show here the gesture of putting my hand on my heart, he was able to feel a kind of kindness towards himself. His heart got, got a little bit more soft. That's all we need. 
that is where the shift in identity comes. When we go from feeling the embarrassed kind of sense of, you know, small, limited self to the one who's a little bit in that place of kind presence, that's a huge, huge shift in identity. So this was, um, for him, from investigating. And I sometimes think of the buried layers as these kind of shy creatures, the unlived parts, that are hiding in the woods and they don't want to come out into the field, but if we can invite them out, like if you say to your inner self, so what's really happening? Or what really wants attention? And you say it with genuine interest and care, that calls out the places, the unlived life that's been hiding. That's the power of investigation. It requires a, a real interest. There's a, a, a saying that attention, true attention is the deepest expression of love. When we pay attention inwardly, we're offering love. We're offering the highest part of our being to those vulnerable places. That's the healing. So that's one level. Now here's the piece I want to add on to that, is that when we can offer that investigating and that interest and care inwardly, we become much more attuned to people around us. If I flip it around, I could say, if you don't know how to listen and investigate your own heart, the layers inside you, you really do not know how to pay attention and look deeply and sense who else is here. It's the same exact skill. And it comes out of interest, an interest and a care. They're very intertwined. So we have built into our brain mirror neurons we have the, the wiring to tune into each other, to be attuned. And so investigation is really the, the engine that teaches us attunement. We become attuned to our inner life by asking these questions and listening, not intellectually, but in a very embodied way. And then we can do the same thing with another. We can begin to pay attention, even when someone's not here, and tune in because of the depth of our presence and our intuition and our listening. Second story. This is about widening the circles of investigation. And this was uh, described by a friend of mine, another teacher, woman he worked with. She had uh, a lot of failed relationships and now she was going through another divorce and was very much in the grip of feeling unlovable. So there was a very harsh kind of self-judgment and again, shut down, she was depressed and lacked any real spontaneity or playfulness. So basically her life energy was depressed. And the story was that as a very young child, her father had left her and her mom. And she had actually been standing there watching when he stormed out of the house without looking at her or without saying goodbye. And then he died several years later. That's the, that's the, that's the background story. So her belief is that she drove him away, that she did something wrong, that she was unlovable, and hence she lived with the belief in the current times that um, she was going to drive everybody away and that she was intrinsically unlovable. And so 
when this teacher was working with her, he did just as I described. He started asking the question, so what's happening right now inside you? And she got in touch with the sense of rejected and not okay and unlovable. And just as I described in the last story, that unlayering helped her to have that place of compassion. She could hold that with compassion. And then the next step was for her to recall that critical moment when she was watching her father leave and kind of re-enter it. And it wasn't really past because anything in the past that's still affecting us is right here in our psyche. So she re-entered it. But this time she included her father in her, in her awareness and the inquiry was, well, what's happening in his body, in his heart, in his mind? Okay, interesting question. And she said, well, he's feeling afraid he's trapped, he's feeling like his marriage is dead-ended and that he's losing his life. And then the question was, well, what does he need? And, you know, and, and the answer was, well, to have, he has to escape, he has to have some hope to be alive. Then the situation was, okay, so he's seeing his daughter standing there. What's happening inside him now? And then the woman says, from the view of her father, I can't go to her I love her too much. I would not be able to leave. And then I'd die. Okay? I have to get out. And that's when she could begin to weep for her own pain and her father's and for all that were involved. Because she had included the whole picture, the big picture. So then the the inquiry continued in a way. Okay, so where did those stories of unlovable really come from? She says, my mind, you know, that's where they came from. Are they true? Well, no, I guess they're just stories, you know. If the story isn't true, if it's not true that you're unlovable, if it's just a story that was, came from your mind, then who are you? I mean, who are you if you don't have that story of being unlovable? And that's when she was quiet and said, I, I don't know. So we can all ask the same question. If we don't live with the story that we live with, and we all are sitting here with narratives, with stories that keep us less than we could be, whatever the story is, if we didn't believe the story, if we saw it just as a story, really got it, that this is a virtual reality, this is not it, who would we be? There was um, one man who was a smoker, a lifelong smoker, and he finally got hospitalized with emphysema after a series of small strokes, and his daughter urged him, as she had often done, to give up smoking. But he refused. Not only that, he asked her to buy him more cigarettes. He told her, I am a smoker this life, and that's how it is. Okay? But several days later, he had another small stroke, apparently in one of the memory areas of the brain, And then, without a concern, he stopped smoking for good. I think this is interesting. And it wasn't because, it was not because he decided to. He woke up one morning, he forgot that he was a smoker. He forgot he was a smoker. Now, that doesn't mean there's not addiction. I'm not saying there's not addiction. But it's the, probably the most profound addiction is the beliefs that we keep telling ourselves about what we can't do or what we have to do or what we can't live without. That's what locks us in. 
So we don't have to have a stroke. We don't have to have the memory part of our brain obliterated to begin to investigate in this very radical way. And it gets, and it's layered. So let's just um, take a moment. We'll practice a little and then we'll do one more piece before we close. Now the beginning of all investigating this basic tool of mindfulness is pausing just as you are. So as you come into stillness and you feel your attention kind of arriving right here, you can just reflect and see if there's a, a stuck place, a difficult stuck place experience that you're having in your life that you'd like to bring some more attention to. And it might be a conflict in a relationship with someone else. Or it might be a way you're feeling addictive. Might be something at work, some loss you're dealing with. Something that's going on for your body that's hard to be with. So the beginning of presence is to just recognize where there's a tangle. And in a way, recognizing and allowing the tangle to be there right now, it's kind of like saying, I'm willing to pay attention to this. That's the beginning of rain. That's the the ground of practice. We're willing to pause and attend to what's here, this tangle. And you might begin by sensing the situation and and it helps sometimes to stop at the frame, freeze at the frame in the movie of what's happening where it's most difficult, where you're most reactive or aggravated or afraid or upset. And since this is a guided reflection, sometimes it's hard to connect with things. You can exaggerate it a little in your mind. And totally don't worry if it's hard to get in touch with anything. Mostly just get a sense of the process of investigating. You can do it on your own. But stopping at the frame of the situation where in some way something is setting off fear or anger, And just to ask, okay, so what's really happening inside me right now? What's really asking for attention inside me, in my body, in my heart? Maybe what I've been running from, what I haven't wanted to feel. And to have the courage just to feel your body, your heart, your throat, your belly. You might sense what you've been believing that's so upsetting. What have you been believing is going to go wrong? What have you been believing is wrong with you or wrong with someone else? 
What have you been believing about the future that's upsetting? And it might be some way that you're flawed or that you won't be loved or you'll be rejected or you'll fail in some way. So you continue to investigate and sense how is this being lived in my body? Fear? Is it shame? Is it hard to name this kind of vague uneasiness? And if it helps to put your hand on your heart, sometimes that helps to offer a very kind presence as you investigate. So you just, again, invite whatever wants attention right now. What really wants attention about this in your body, in your heart? Sense what it might be if you recognize what you're believing, that something's wrong with you, something's wrong with another person, something's going to go wrong. Who would you be if you weren't believing that? If you let go of the story of something's wrong with me? Who would you be if you let go of the story that others would reject you or that you're not lovable? Who would you be? without any intellectual inquiry, just intuit the freedom, the mystery of what's here. Who would you be if you didn't hold on to a limiting belief of something's wrong with me? To even get a glimmer of that freedom is the door swinging open. So in a simple way now, just to sense what is really happening in this moment, come back to that simplicity, what's happening inside me in this moment. Let your senses be awake. And can I let this be? So as I mentioned with this meditation, and it's true with any of the reflections here, there's always a certain percentage of people that it's just not the right time or the moment or environment or whatever to do the actual process here. But the invitation is when you feel stuck to pause and to begin to investigate what's happening inside me. Another good question is what really wants attention inside me now? to ask it with kindness. That's why I sometimes invite people to put their hands on their heart, to really invite the the unlived, vulnerable places out. What's happening? What wants acceptance? Can I be with this? 
What am I believing? I found that whenever we are suffering, we're believing something that has to do with something's wrong with me, something's going to go wrong. What am I believing? Who would I be if I wasn't living with that belief? So that's one level of the healing that's possible with this investigation. I'm going to take it one more step, which is that there are times that we're not caught in an emotional tangle. In fact, life, it's quieter, we're aware, but there's still a kind of sense of a ghost self, somebody that's back there that's kind of choosing this and doing that, or if we're meditating is directing our attention. I sometimes call it the ghost self. There's still a sense of somebody in there, and that it's a separate self, and that self is willful. It's doing things. And so there's a deeper level of investigation that's possible, a deeper level of realization and freedom that's possible. And when the woman was asked, well, where did the stories come from? And she said, my mind. When we really start getting quiet and then there's thoughts, we can ask, where did the thoughts come from? Where did they go to? And a whole mystery presents itself because we can't answer that with our minds. Or else when we're getting really quiet and we're just listening to sound, And then we ask, well, really, who or what is listening right now? Now, if our minds are busier, they're just going to say, oh, me, and we have a story of a self that's listening. But if we're paying direct attention, in other words, if we're really looking into our mind and saying, who's listening, we can't find anything. There's just listening happening. That's the deeper inquiry, is to begin to discover that we can't really find an answer in any cognitive sense to the question of who's aware or what's aware right now. That's what's called emptiness. It's empty of any solid self. We can't find one unless we start thinking again. But direct investigation is not cognitive. It's a deep looking directly into reality. So what I'd like to do is a final little meditation where we explore that and to just invite you to enter this last investigation with an open mind and with really not attached to any results, just curiosity. Curiosity is the best way. So again, to pause because this is perhaps the most fundamental and liberating inquiry on the, on the spiritual path. I mean, the Buddha basically sat under the Bodhi tree and looked into the nature of his own mind. And he looked until he discovered really the radiance of pure awareness. So this is the inquiry that can wake us up out of any story of being a separate, a limited, a deficient self. Again, we pause. And I'd like to invite you to really let your senses be awake. So listening to sound. And listening to the space in this room. 
almost as if you could listen to and feel the space that's here. Listening to and feeling the sensations that are here in the body. Notice if it's possible to relax just a little bit more right now. You don't have to try to relax, but just notice if it's possible that it just happens. Just to let go, relax a little more. So that there's a listening to and feeling the whole moment that's here. And you can inquire as you're aware of the sounds, as you're aware of the sensations in the body, really what is aware? Who or what is listening right now? As if you could turn the attention around back into awareness itself like instead of a projector and a movie screen, looking back into the very source of the mind of who created the movie. Who is listening? And just relax and let go into whatever is experienced, not trying to figure anything out. perhaps aware of this field of sensation, heat or vibrating. What's aware? What is noticing that? If you can sense in the foreground this aliveness of the body, pressure, heat, vibrating, If you can sense the coming and going of sounds, perhaps the feelings of the heart, the space that's around you. So that's in the foreground. And be aware in the background of the stillness the inner stillness that's aware, that's taking it all in, that's receiving all this experience. That's it. Being aware of the presence itself. It's the awake, empty presence. The poet Rumi put it this way, one matter, one energy, one light, one light mind, endlessly emanating all things, 
one bright turning diamond, one, one, one. Ground yourself. Strip yourself down to blind, loving silence. Stay there until you see you are gazing at the light with its own ageless eyes. We pause again and just notice the life that's here, the simple inquiry of what's happening. And can I let this be? This investigation that carries us home into the presence that's our true nature. May all beings have the blessing of waking up, of waking up their hearts, waking up their minds, waking up to the loving presence that really is the source of our being. Namaste. The teaching you have received has been freely offered. If you would like to contact the Insight Meditation Community of Washington to make a donation or to learn more about our programs, please visit our website at www.imcw.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.